Pickle, 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 episode 17. We are recording on Monday, December 7th. This will be out to you on December 8th. Chris, how are we doing? Oh, you know, I'm doing. I just had to pick up dog poop, number one. Yeah. Number the two. Late recording due to uh, dog poop on your rolling chair. That's disgusting. Yeah, it was kind of gross. I, usually it's pretty easy because it's hard poop and I don't have to worry about like anything. I happened to roll in some of it. Wasn't great. Do you want me to do an aggressive segue right now? Sure. Speaking of dog poop, <laughs> had some interaction with Jeff Fry this weekend. <laughs> uh, that was aggressive. I'm going to hear about that from Shigon Nation. So that's fun. <clears throat> uh, so Jeff is uh, Jeff's like the the grandfather of old school baseball on Twitter. He loves being old school. He loves telling people they don't know what they're talking about. He told me that he's not worth. I'm not worth their time. He's speaking for all of Shigon Nation this weekend, which was fun. Um, and the trigger for all this was a clip of Tony Gwynn, who is one of the greatest hitters of all time, talking about the swing and how to gather and how to load. And it's just, to me, the irony of everything. And this is a recurring theme because it's just a recurring theme in the world of baseball. But uh, Tony Gwynn of all time is saying, when the ball is being released, get your front foot down. So get your front foot down when the ball's released. Take your hands back when the ball's released. And he demos it. And then I, I replied with a video of Tony Gwynn picking up his foot as the ball was being released. So this is the this is the constant struggle of a non-major league player, non-former major league player. So maybe you can speak up with some semblance of credibility because I obviously don't have any because you did play in the big leagues. You hit 320 in the One. American League. So 321, sorry. Yeah. Um, so how how do we reconcile this? Because if a hitter's late, you need to tell them to get their front foot down earlier. That's reasonable, rational, logical even. If they're late, load earlier. But most hitters get their swings blown up by loading too early and stopping. So they lose all athleticism and they get into a really bad load pattern. Their leverage is all messed up. So then they have to push and then up being late because they were early because they have no... There's no like adjustability happening when decision making is happening. So they have to stop and wait. And then they have terrible swings. So what Tony Gwynn says is not what he does. But if I say something about that, I get hitting Twitter crucified because I'm a nobody. So, you know, all right. I was contemplating letting you do the show all by yourself today. I was going to call in sick. I was going <laughs> to say, hey, just go, man. But the funny thing about this whole situation is, number one, Jeff Fry follows me on Twitter. And if I write anything, he like he kind of thinks it's in favor of like the old school guy. Because there was a thread we were all in. And I wrote mm-hmm. something. He was like, yeah. And then I played golf with Jeff one time. Seemed like a nice guy. Reasonable, rational. Um, that's kind of all out the window now. Um, in the sense that I literally, literally. Literally. Was the- was the guy who did all the things that the old school guys told me to do when I was a kid, and I stunk. And by stunk, I mean I wasn't a major league caliber player. And then you taught me all the stuff that you taught me or pointed out to me, and then we learned it together more, and I became awesome. So, if so facto, lots of value in the things that you said. The issue, and I think Jeff is becoming part of the problem that he's trying to 
suppress or subdue, right? Like he's becoming part of the problem by taking an incredibly combative stance from the opposing side. And I look, I, maybe he's doing it with blinders on, though. Yeah, maybe he, he's he trying to sell t-shirts. <laughs> maybe he really thinks he's right. There's a lot of irony. There's a lot of irony. Yeah. This dude is in like Facebook groups promoting his t-shirt sales. And then he rails on people for doing lessons with kids that are actually like genuinely trying to help kids. So I know a lot of people that are like this. They're like, oh, internet hitting guys. Well, what other medium should you use to spread your message in today's society? Right. And this is the biggest problem is that everybody the pots are calling the kettles black all the time. It's happening over and over and over again. I hate hypocrisy, man. Nobody should feel bad for trying to make money because that's the world we live in. Like you need money to buy like oats and water and, you know, horseshoes, things of that nature. So don't feel bad for making money. Feel bad if you genuinely don't care about what you're doing. And I'm not even saying don't be like, don't you have to be perfect in your teaching, be okay with making mistakes, but be passionate and be committed to the instruction, to the kids, to the players that you're, you're giving, you're passing messages along to, because I promise you, no matter what your message is, whether you're telling somebody to get their foot down early or you're telling them to get their foot down next Tuesday, there's going to be some people that you help and some people that you won't help, or you'll have, less success with right so again anybody that's taking the side of like well we have to coach this way or we have to coach this way is a jackass like you are a jackass but you don't understand that all human beings are different and think differently so yes i theoretically if so facto through the relative equationary systems of the interconnective chain i just called jeff Fry a jackass yeah. And, and the, the funny thing is like, I'm willing to call myself a jackass too. Exactly. Exactly what you just said is like, there's no one right way. And when you, when you fail to dig into any like smidge of a layer of depth, you just don't, you can't even have a conversation. Cause like you said, he's, he's taking the anti launch angle swing, the anti, I mean, there's some weird drills out there and he's calling those people out, but he buckets anybody that doesn't agree with him as bad and terrible for the game and not worth people's time. Like for years I've said the number one thing I try to do is educate hitters. That's like yeah. all I'm trying to do is like, let's, let's have a conversation. Let's talk about the swing. Let's, let's open your mind to different ways of doing things, especially if you're not performing the way that you want to perform. Like I don't hear from people that are smashing. Like why those, those aren't the people that are looking for help. The people that like Albert pools in 2001, wasn't going to call up a hitting coach to be like, Hey man, I'm looking for an overhaul. Yeah. Doesn't need it. The guys that are looking for help are looking for help for a reason. And like, they need to try something new. They need to have a refresh. They need like, they need something to kickstart their process. And it's just, it's crazy to me. And the irony of him like selling shirts and, and marketing himself as heavily as he does with this whole thing is it's just it's super ironic and he plays a big time status game um where it's like if you don't have mlb experience and you're not credible which is frustrating uh but it's just it's so thick with irony and then like just objectively just look at what tony Gwynn did and it stinks that like 
I would love to have a conversation with Tony Gwynn. That's obviously not possible. Like, I'd be so curious to know what Tony Gwynn would say. And he was one of the first guys to really study video. Like, everything in that video that Tony Gwynn was talking about is what I lived by as a hitter through my entire career. Like, get my foot down early, take my hands to the ball, stay inside the ball. I lived by it. And then, like, what most people don't realize and what I think the biggest disconnect is is with these amazing elite hitters don't fully realize what they do with their bodies. They don't fully grasp their moves. So when they try to teach it, there's things missing because they don't know, they have no awareness of it. So how are you supposed to teach something you don't know you're doing? It's like Tiger Woods. Can Tiger Woods teach everybody to be Tiger Woods? Of course not. Of course not. And then the, 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 the analogy that I've been delaying using on Twitter is like a, is the golf analogy. So if you get some some young kid that's just like snap hooking, crazy slicing, has no control of the golf ball, you just gotta, hey kid, knock it down the middle. Keep it simple. <laughs> just keep it simple. Like what are we doing? Like you to to become proficient at something, you have to get into layers. You have to become knowledgeable. Yeah, but here, the, so the problem is that we're not. We don't even have to get past the first layer, right? To acknowledge somebody's incompetence or lack thereof or lack lack of I guess care of what's actually happening and and the possible realization that their rhetoric may actually have an impact in in literal terms right release point foot in the air right release point foot still in the air like proof video proof and then denial right or no no response and it's so easy to not respond on twitter and on social media but how is there any denial of that? Like, how can anybody look at that and go, my argument is still, you know, in play or whatever you want to call it. So there's, that's the part where any rational human being that's looking at that with a, a reasonable set of eyes and a brain is going, well, that makes sense. You ready, you ready, for, you ready for some really thick, thick irony? Yeah. They rail against people for feel versus real. But Tony Gwynn, obviously, he's just talking about the feel. Yeah. You don't actually put your foot down on when the ball's released. So they use feel versus real in an argument against you when it's convenient, but then they talk about feel versus real. And it's just they've made up their minds, and I typically avoid those types of conversations. I just – it's not worth it. But if there's blatant stuff, it's if it's so blatant – and I know people are there. I know there's people watching and paying attention and – it's, it's a forum. It's a, it's a medium where a lot of eyeballs exist. So like drawing attention to things that you believe in is part of like, if you're trying to get a message out, what are you going to do? You're going to write a book. You're going to produce a video. You're gonna maybe make a DVD and sell it. Like how else are you going to get your message out to the mass audience if you believe in something? And that's part of why I, I think the, the, the best coaches, the, the people that can make the biggest impact on the game need to figure out ways to get to scale and that's through commerce right that's through twitter that's through facebook whatever social media and the unfortunate part is that in the meantime of that like now you have to you have to decipher what what message to read you have to decipher who matters and who doesn't you have to decipher who's the best person to listen to and the worst and i i I get super remember when we were kids like when we were growing up, people used to tell you all the time, if you don't have anything good to say about somebody, just don't say it, right? And I feel like it's the opposite now. Everybody just wants to say bad crap about other people. And it's messed up, right? Because it, 
anybody who pays attention to you, and first of all, to, in order to evaluate you as a baseball person or a swing guy, like they'd have to get in a cage with you. So how can I possibly pretend to know anything about who you are, what you stand for, or at a minimum, like read your book or watch your stuff or really listen and pay attention. Like I'd have to go deep dive into your information, right? I don't mean you necessarily have to get in a cage with you, but you know, by and large, you can gain understanding of what somebody represents when you listen to them talk. And, you know, through time, I've listened to a lot of different hitting guys talk. You and I have never had the same conversation about anything. Like we're just always shifting, changing the way we talk to other people, the way we talk to player A versus player B. And the lack, just the lack of feel and, and discussion about that in and of itself is bewildering to me because it's like, oh, we got to tell everybody to get their foot down early. Nobody could like kick. You got to swing straight down because everybody's swinging up now. I had four hitters yesterday. Two of them were like one of them swinging down hard, one of them swinging up hard. The other one's kind of somewhere in between, and the other one swings across. So all four of those players need different information. They need different extremes to work on. One of them wants to get their foot down super early. The other one gets their foot down super late. So, like, I have to mix up the way I, I talk to those guys, right? Like, I'm going to tell one to make an extreme in one direction, one to make an extreme in the other to get them somewhere in between. So, and it's so simple to me, but I don't know. I, I, don't, I really – there are times when I think people are just doing it to be combative. and That's why when you say, is it worth my time, I, I really think the more attention we bring to it. And I, I feel like I'm at a point in my life where I just want to call people out on their crap, you know, like I – I, people try to do it to everybody I know and care about. So now I'm like, all right, you want you want to play that game? Like, because I won't, I won't lose. Let's put it that way. I won't stop. That's why. So, yeah, it's uh, it's not a conversation that's going to go away. But there's just there's times that it's just really frustrating, and it's the thing when I get most frustrated is when people just refuse to take like three minutes of their life to look deeper. They just, they, they dig their feet in. They just, they're going to be who they are and that's it. They're not going to even try. And I think the game's going to pass that type of person up. Um, so like arguing with people on Twitter is not super productive in the world. Uh, but yeah, it's, it can it's, be entertaining though. It can be, it can be. And if I'm like, if I'm sitting on the toilet killing minutes, then I can, you know, you can, you can have those conversations and, and, and jump in, get in the fray a little bit. So uh, I'm sure this is not the last time we're going to. We could have done the whole show about this. Yeah. But we got other stuff to talk about. We, uh, we prefaced last week this whole Major League Baseball thing that's happening. So I'm going to actually, I need to read some of the stuff because there's a lot of pieces to it. How much have you looked into this? Uh, probably about 13%. I, I mean, I, I know about it. Uh, my interest level about it is it has like some teeth, but I hate everybody. So I don't care anymore. <clears throat> All right. So first thing they're doing is a wood bat MLB draft league. So there's going to be most likely six teams, 68 game season. Uh, I believe it starts in May, which I don't know how that works with the uh, college seasons not being over. And at least in the North, the high school seasons aren't over yet. It's a league intended for like draft eligible high school players, college players, junior college players. Then, then will be announced an eight team pioneer league 
that is not affiliated but will become an independent partner league with MLB. So MLB is going to provide initial funding for operations and install scouting technology. Weird. Uh, it's going to be in Colorado, Idaho, Montana, Utah. The What else we got? Um, we could start with that for right now. And then there's like, uh, I saw like Staten Island Yankees are like suing the suing somebody. I forget. Yeah, the they're suing MLB and the Yankees. Yeah. So they, they've done a bunch of like, you know, upkeep of their facility and trying to make things, you know, and minor league standards and they're just dropping it. So obviously my, there's a my huge. My favorite quote in the article was MLB said in a statement that players will receive unprecedented visibility to MLB club scouts through both in-person observation and state-of-the-art scouting technology and educational programming designed to prepare them for careers as professional athletes. Ha! That's my nice. dog just barked after I did that. Ha! That's nice. So I have a couple questions about Sorry. like that. More like questions for the world, not necessarily for you. Um, Somebody's frozen. Am I frozen? I was, fro I was frozen. All right. So they're doing uh, the 68-game season for these college players. I mean, this is this is straight up a, a data play. There's a huge data technology play here. And we've had many conversations about this, especially when you get into the realm of professional baseball, that uh, there's a giant presumption that these guys know what they're looking for. And there's going to be decisions made based on algorithms and based on data that the players aren't even aware of. And... Uh, their entire careers could get altered because of this without them even really knowing it, which yeah. is pretty scary. Uh, they might be really good players, but a certain metric pops up that says they're not good. I, I'm not trying to be overly dramatic, but there's going to be situations where it's like, Hey, your heart rate spiked and that means you're not a clutch player. So you're not going to get drafted and blah, blah, blah. Ideally we get into a situation where the player gets an opportunity. They, they play and they earn their way up and blah, blah, blah. Um, the independent league thing, so they're going to provide initial funding for the operating and they're going to do all this, the technology stuff. Who, so is it, if this is an independent league, I know we both played indie ball and there was like a, a built in barrier for guys to get signed with the contract purchase. So I'm curious, like if this is a true independent league where any team can, can just snatch up a player, it's pretty interesting it's <laughs> they've cut the number of minor league teams. So how are they going to do this league? And then they're going to have to release other guys to bring these guys up to get called up or signed. So it's just, a, this is just a straight data play where they don't have to pay the players. That's all I see. Ding, 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 ding. And in other news, major league baseball tries to pretend like they don't make money and they want to make more money. Like it's crazy, man. It did. Uh, didn't the owner of the Phillies, uh, just come out and say they lost like $2 billion last year when yeah, can't, the actual, because they the, lost the actual number was like, they lost 135 million or something of that tune, which still, okay. And nobody's saying like lose 135 million is cool, but I think you're going to be okay. You probably bought the franchise at like 200 million or a hundred million, whatever it was. And now it's worth like probably close to 3 billion. So I think it's all going to work out. Like you're going to be all right. Um, like, you know, first world problems type stuff. But to this point, I don't understand, like fundamentally don't understand why 
there's this incessant need for them to collect data, 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 right? Because they're, they're insinuating that what did with it. And everything that they've done in the last, I don't know, 10 years maybe, I'd say it's probably been 10 really, that's been like this hard push at data and analytics and, you know, uh, trying to figure out where value is in players. And you've seen salaries just get steamrolled really, other than for, you know, the top, really the top 1% has still continued to go up. Like Mike Trout's going to make his 40, Mookie's going to get his 40, whatever it is. Um, and they're probably like the frontline pitchers. And it's really, really a shame that the game feels like they need to do this um, because it's so manipulative and it's so easy to see it once you're inside it. Because as a player, you just think growing up, like you're going to just get opportunities if you work the hardest and, and, you, and you go about your business the right way. And it's a shame because like it's amazing to see how many major league players get like overlooked or pushed aside right now. Guys that had really nice careers, they get to year six, they get to year seven, um, and they're just out. Like, there's nowhere for them to go. And it, you go, what the heck? Like, where, where, like, what, what happened? And if you're really paying attention, you, it's so easy to see it. And now with this stuff, it's just more of the same. Like, we just want to control everything. We want to control them when they're younger, and we want to pay less money for them. Like, you know, the people, like the teams that are coming out and saying, oh, we've raised minor league salaries. Well, you've also cut teams, so you're offsetting costs by doing that. So don't. Don't come out and sell me this bill of goods. Like all their public statements where they look holier than now, they all have agendas. Like they're all agenda statements. And the only agenda is make more money and try to leverage the entire market and make it your own. Period. Like owning Rawlings. Like owning, like why did they buy Rawlings? Well, like, duh. Like they want to do whatever they want to the baseball. They want to be able to manipulate it however they want. And they want to cut costs for themselves, like by buying into it. Now they, it's an investable product instead of them like just whipping out cash to go buy baseballs and, and, and equipment. Like it's so belligerently obvious if you're paying attention. And it's a shame. Like it's, you know, you're trying to like, and you're selling this bill of good to the players. It's an unprecedented opportunity to get visibility. For 120 years, scouts have been watching players play. Like how is this unprecedented? You know, well, because it's all in one location. Cool. You're going to send all your major league scouts there. You're not going to have them anywhere else. Like, you're not going to have any amateur scouts in the, in the Northeast. What are we talking about? Like, what literally, what are we talking about? And it's not like you can't just, like, record yourself and then put it on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> you're good. They're going to see it. Like, yeah. you guys are getting signed with cell phone videos and batting cages now. So, yeah. The, the talent, I saw one tweet this weekend. Uh, I think it was Casey Fisk. He wrote, like, 99% of trial decisions at like a high school or youth, whatever, yeah. 99% of decisions for cuts can be made in the first three minutes watching people play catch. Yeah. Like 1000% true. Show me, show me playing catch for two minutes, field three ground balls and take four swings and initial cuts are going to happen. Pretty simple. And I like just run or even warm up. Just let me watch you warm up. They get a pretty good idea of what's happening. And well, you probably sit in a room for five minutes and you figure it out pretty good too. I, Look, you know, I I wouldn't I almost wouldn't mind if Major League Baseball would just come out and be like, yeah, we just want to own everything. We want all the data. We want to be able to screw as many people as possible. Like, I'd, I'd appreciate them more for that. I'd be like, all right, cool. At least you're being honest. Well, the, the angle, the, the thing, the angle that people don't realize is they're trying to figure out how to pay players the least amount possible. Yeah. So, so having the younger players 
push out the older players. So like they're getting data. They've been doing this in my league. They've been hyping up prospects. You've been talking about this for years. They hype up prospects, prospects, guys that haven't done anything in the big leagues. They got guys in double A on the MLB website and they're pushing out the older players because the older players based on the traditional negotiation have made more money because they're later in the career. So the more pre-arb players they can get on the roster, the more pre-free agency players they can get on the roster, the less money they're going to have to pay. And historically, baseball is a very profitable sport. There's so much money in the media. They don't even need people at the fields anymore. Yeah. There's so much money being made on the media side. They just need games to occur to make tons of money. So sometimes not even that. If they make, uh, if they make their payrolls lower, if they can, if they can get productive players at younger ages and push out the older guys and they have whatever metrics they choose to, de- to determine that where they're controlling the numbers, the whole, the, the scales are all tipped in their favor. But the funny thing is they don't even need productive players. No. They don't like for fi- like, that's why teams are going, ah, we don't need to win the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Red Sox. And, and by the way, the Red Sox punted this year too, for the first time in a while. So it's really the Yankees, the Dodgers that are, that are, that are going hard in the paint that are just keeping the league afloat, the Cubs maybe, but they kind of, they kind of punted this year a little bit. Yeah. So there's guys they, that are getting none to, that aren't getting contracts. They're not getting tendered that it's like, Oh, well, we do, as a free agent, they make this or their, their tender contract is worth 10 million, but we think on the free agent market, they're going to be worth seven. So they just don't sign them. They just let them go. There's just uh if you don't realize Major League Baseball is a business and everything that they touch, everything that Major League Baseball touches and owns as it relates to baseball, the sport is a business. And they're, they're looking out for their own interest first. It's terrifying. And by, by like over the years, Major League Baseball has been a league where you get paid based on service time. Right. And I think that's the thing that the people don't really understand. Right. So the, the, the name of the game is the, the longer you spend, the more you get paid because arbitration is structured so that you, your salary cannot go down. When you get to free agency, the expectation is that your salary will go up again, right? So in the NBA and the NFL, that might not necessarily be true. You might sign your first deal and you, sign, you could sign a rookie deal worth, I don't know how much money, and then your next deal could be worth less because there is no arbitration or there is no sliding scale of, of – your service time paying you. And that's just traditionally how it's been. Now, the, the beauty of that for major league players has been the fact that they've been able to ultimately just allow free agency and other things to continue and, and be pursued and, and for those long-term deals to get signed. So it's like give and take no matter what, right? The player signed the 10-year deal, like the market, you know, whatever. So like for all the things that people say are bad about the contracts that teams are giving out, like there's got, again, there's gotta be give and take. And this is why there's, there's ultimately no peace between players and owners. There's no, there's almost no middle ground because it seems like the owners are trying to take every advantage where it's like, you should just be thankful. You should just be thankful that you have a job. You know, you should just be thankful that you're getting to play baseball and somebody's paying you to play baseball. You know, I got both of them. They both came. Yeah. So, hi, guys. We're doing a show. It's interesting to see how it all plays out. Um, I generally don't like when top talent's getting pulled out of local leagues at the high school level. Um, it's been happening with travel ball for a while. I think it makes the level of local baseball drop when when the top players are getting pulled out. And then there's like a whole 
trickle down effect with that where you know you might get less guys playing because of it there's I, I don't see the it makes the, the sport more and more exclusive instead of inclusive which I don't like uh, let's move on Paul George basketball player complaining about his season I guess and he said that he was uh, being treated like a shooting guard like a Ray Allen or JJ Redick type Kevin O'Connell O'Connor I don't know who this guy is some NBA writer for the ringer pulled out the receipts and he said that Paul George finished 33% of his total plays using pick and roll, which was a career high. Uh, prior high was 25%, which is very different. He's not like a spot up shoot guy, like just chasing baselines, I guess. Am I, am I saying that right? Like, I feel like JJ Reddick just sprints back and forth and just tries to get open. It comes off um, double screens. Just sweat, yeah. Yeah. He's just, he's just catch and shoot type guy. So Paul George is complaining about stuff that isn't real. So is his perception wrong? Is is his failure clouding his perspective on what actually happened? Uh, this is like in a situation where the metrics are kind of torching him. Well, and then the other day he came out and made a comment like he wants to stay in Los Angeles the rest of his career. Which he said about – he said that about every other place he's played. He said the same yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, means it. The, the, what it comes down to to me is – is the conversation about we talk about winners and clutch players like big time players all the time. I'm not saying Paul George can't win, right? I don't think he can't win, but if he needs to be the center of attention to win, it's going to be hard. It's it's going to be difficult, right? And and not that he's the center of attention like they have Kawhi and they have some other good players, and um, but he's obviously a big piece of you know the Clippers. It's hard to win with guys like this because. It, it just becomes easier for them to give you a reason why not instead of instead of figuring out how to, if that makes any sense. Um, that's my favorite line I think I've ever said. It's easier to give a reason why not instead of figuring out how to. It's it's way easier to point out failure without solutions yeah. and just say, this is what's wrong, this is what's wrong, this is what's wrong. And then it, we've talked about this in the past where it's like if you if things aren't going well, that might be the time to keep your mouth shut and work harder as opposed to going on podcasts, all the smoke with uh, these two guys that I don't know. But even if you do, like, about, like, even if so you want to, why not go on a podcast and be like, yeah, dude, I need to be better. I, like this goes, the, the case in point about what we were talking about before, about with the, the stuff with Fry. Just how about like, how about just be like, yeah, I sucked. I need to be better. I wasn't good enough for us to win. Because if you don't look at yourself before you look at everybody else, how dare you call everybody else out if you ain't coming with it? How dare you like make give like somebody a reason why when you didn't leave everything you had there? Because there was more. Like there, it's been very abundantly clear to everyone that there's more with Paul George and Patrick. Like is dying to just dive in and talk about it. There's more, bro. Like we all know it. You know it. I don't know why you're trying to fool us. This like, you know who used to do this and. I, I've heard like really good things about this guy. I hate that I'm even bringing it up, but John Lackey had trouble in Boston. You know why John Lackey had trouble in Boston? Cause he would give up 11 in three innings and then he'd go into his presser and be like, man, I felt like I had good stuff today. I'm like, bro, you just gave up four absolute rockets in the first two and a half innings. And then like you got yanked and you were like, put your, your sad face, upset face on like, just come out and be like, dude, I sucked. I was terrible. I need to be better for us to win. Like, you can't say you have good stuff and give up 11. You can't say, 
yeah, man, I really came with it, but like, I just don't think people use me the right way. Like, use yourself the right way, bruh. Let's go. Yeah, and I'd be curious to know what kind of conversations happened in season if he was if he was going to the coach saying, "Hey, I don't feel like I'm being used correctly. I feel like there's adjustments that can be made." I, we, we're not privy to those conversations or to any knowledge around that. If it was something discussed and hashed out internally first, then I feel better about it being talked about publicly. But I I feel good about what you're saying with the whole thing. What's his ear stinks? Ready for some post show? Yeah. You know, one one post show question. I'm probably not a great person to answer. I know your answer is so obvious. Best and worst walk up songs you've ever heard. You had so your walk up song story is pretty, pretty cool actually. I hate to to pump your tires a little bit with it, but the uh, Return of the Mac. Yeah. How many? How many? Did you ever not use that song, or did you use it? I didn't use it for one at bat for a girl. What? True story. Um, all right. So first of all, you get to pro ball and they ask you what your walk-up song is. Right. And right away I'm thinking, and I, I'm like kind of one of those people who tries to find like the perfect everything. Right. I have to have the perfect song, the perfect logo, the perfect whatever. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking I'd spent like a whole day not knowing what to do. And I was like, it hit me return of the Mac you know, greatest one hit wonder of all time. Like I'm 10 years in 2005, this was 10 years removed from that song coming out. Right. So I'm like, perfect. Start playing it. It's nasty. Hit 300, right. Hit 320. My first year in pro ball, the next year we're at spring training and we're picking out walkout songs. My teammates like, I was like, Oh man, do I do, what do I do? And he's like, dude, you hit 300. You keep the same song. And I'm like, yeah. If it ain't broke. If it ain't yeah. broke. And not to mention Return of the Max nasty. Like it's just, you know, this is a good time to just throw it in there, Patrick. Like, oh, come on. We're not trying to tell you something. Like, what a what a jam. Like greatest one hit wonder ever. So anyway, the funny the funny part about it for me is so the one time I didn't I didn't come out to it, I think you might have been there. Either you were concussed at the time or you were on the team, because it was 2006. And I played a song from the fray. The fray. Yeah, because there was a girl coming again. I never knew. I can't remember which one it was. Hey, the fray. Good that that album they had was good. Yeah. What's the other one? What's the that other was song? like. I think that was the only album I ever downloaded on iTunes. Like, yeah, that was a. Like, they were like getting nasty, and then they just yeah. stopped being musicians. I don't know. I feel like. Haven't heard much from them since 2006. Yeah, I never knew. I never knew that everything was falling through. My my walk up song was All American Rejects Move Along. I, I didn't want to go rap. I didn't I I felt like that was uh not a good move for me. Yeah. My college song, which we didn't have walk up songs my entire career in college. And then my senior year we were gonna do it. We were like our coach, Coach Courier, finally like we had we, we got to wear white spikes, we got to be like full John College. because uh, he was an old school guy. And then uh thumb surgery. Blew up my thumb, so I never had a walkout song. But it would have been the beat nuts, no escaping this. It would have been my song. Nice. Which I like. You know the, the irony, most people, I tell people this, I, I offer it up for sale. As I walk to the plate while Return of the Mac is playing, I sing Here Is Gone by the, by the Goo Goo Dolls, which is incredibly weird. Like, how do you listen to Return of the Mac and sing Here Is Gone to yourself? Some, it's weird how, like, having a song in your head 
and we could, this is like a whole other thing we could get into, but in terms of, in terms of like distracting yourself in a good way. So it's like, you got to distract yourself so you can focus. Singing a song in the batter's box is awesome. I have a three song. I have a three song thing. Return of the Mac plays and I sing here is gone while I'm walking up. And then after, like, as I take my last step into the box to get ready to hit, I start singing uh, Mariah Carey. Don't forget about us. So weird. I know. Yes, I get it. I was about weird. to say, you're a weird cat. Hey, whatever you got to do to rake, bro. Yeah, you figure it out. I mean, you, let's talk to let's talk to Jeff Fry about that. I'd yeah. rather talk to him about that. Um, that's crazy. Best walk-up song. I wish. Uh, I'm I'm just like a big cheesy pop music thing. So like, I'd probably go with like Selena Gomez or Justin Bieber. Yeah, Bieber. I'd go. I'd lean in hard to it now. I, I wasn't confident. Like I couldn't do a rap song because I wasn't confident enough. I'm like this. I, I would. I would probably go to Despacito. Um, right now, love Despacito. Um. The only other song I thought about coming out to was The Good Life by Kanye West, which was great. The good one. I remember the good uh, I always liked uh, uh, when you made your, the, your MLB debut first full series in Detroit. Yeah. Uh, Miguel Cabrera had that Lamborghini Mercy song. Yeah. Um, like, Lamborghini Mercy. You're so thirsty. But you know, for him. You know, a gutsy song to come out to. And this was the first, this one I knew I was going to like Tulo a lot. When he came up to bat to Aloe Black, the man. Oh, you can like you gotta you gotta be a dude to come out of that. You can tell everybody. Go ahead and tell everybody. I, I'm like we're in in Colorado. I'm like this guy's the cheese. It's because ball. like yeah. he went backside tater. He's hitting 358. I was like, oh my god, he might be the best player ever. But by the way, look at Clutch's eyes. He could fall asleep. He's like literally sitting up and he's like falling asleep. He got really tough. He heard me talking about him. He got a really tough day coming up. Probably gonna get like the better part of 16 hours of sleep today. Right, Clutch? Watch. This will be effort. High five. It got oh, there. Boy. <laughs> See, that was a that's an extra 20 minutes of nap time. Oh boy. All right. Any other post show? No, we're done. That is pickle. That is our episode, episode 17. That's a wrap. Pillow out. <laughs> pickle out. What do you say? You always say something. Pickle out. 